Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson. And I'm Blair Cook. And today we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Mark and Samantha Hurwitz, who are the co-founders of Flip Skills Consulting and Flip University, which is flipping learning on its head. Mark has master's degrees in math and physics, an MBA and PhD in neuroscience. He's just a little smart. Samantha is a CPA and HR thought leader. Today, we're talking to them about the idea of followership and their book, Leadership is Half the Story. Let's get started. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson, and I'm very excited to be here with Sam and Mark Hurwitz, who are partners in life and business. Thank you, Jen. We're excited to be here, too. And Mark, you are a um, very diverse professional. You have a PhD in physics? Cognitive neuroscience. Cognitive neuroscience. Yeah. But you've also worked in HR and marketing. How do those things go together? (laughs) Well, okay, so that's a good question. I started out my career or my schooling in physics, so that was true. And then I got a couple of graduate degrees in math and physics. Just a couple. A couple, yeah. (laughs) I'm kind of a sucker for school. And uh, I found myself raising two small kids, doing a PhD in math and realizing, wow, you can't actually raise kids on a graduate salary. So mm, maybe I better go out and get a job or start a business. So I did what all physics and math students do. I went out and started uh, an HR company. That sounds like everyone does that, of course. (laughs) Obvious. So to to make a a short story long, I... uh, Ran the company for seven years until I realized at that point I didn't know anything about business, which uh, I'm a kind of a slow learner, which is funny for someone with all those degrees. Uh, and then I got a corporate job in HR. They were excited enough about me to pay for an MBA at the time, so I got another graduate degree and at the same time moved into actuarial work. Wow. Because that's also a fairly standard career path from HR into being <laughs> yes. an actuary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Even CPAs don't really become actuaries. I mean, it's a real special. No. You have to be a special person yes, to be an actuary. Special. They are very special. There's jokes I could tell, but I won't since this is recorded for kind of posterity. And just during my MBA, I met some really cool people. And one of them was uh, a vice president of marketing who said, hey, Mark, you know, marketing is just part of your name. Why don't you do it? And so... <laughs> So I did, and that was fun, and so I was a marketing, ended up as a marketing executive for a bunch of years and really enjoyed that. But I also realized near the end of my tenure there that I was seeing things go on in the organization that I didn't understand, and, and you know, I'm a fairly reflective person. I think about things for a long time, and I'd just done an MBA, and I thought I knew a lot about business at this point in time, and I was all excited. I realized wow, there's things going on. There are people getting promoted I don't understand, people getting things done. How are they getting it done? We'd just gone through a big M&A, a merger and acquisition, and there were people getting jobs who I thought, wow, they're not the best leaders, and they don't have all the technical skills. What the heck am I missing? So I did what I often do. I let this percolate in the back of my brain for many, many, many months. And it's literally, I woke up one day and said, to myself, wait a second, maybe there's something called followership, which is the complement to leadership. It wasn't that coherent. Wow, it just came to you one day like that? <laughs> just complete formed thought, that's right. <laughs> With all sorts of additional, you know. The apple fell from the tree. The apple, oh, yeah. kaboom, fell from the tree. 
Um, no, I had this thought and thinking that, well, Mark, you must be a genius. No one's ever had this thought before, ever. Uh, I realized, well, no, maybe I wasn't. Maybe there's other research out there. But pretty much that There time, wasn't, really. Not much. There was a little bit. It just had started. It was very, very early days uh, in followership. There were a couple of good books, and I've met the authors since, and they're great, smart people. Um, but that's also about the time that I met Sam. Yeah, so Sam is what us and our listeners probably are more familiar with, which is a CPA. And uh, tell us a bit about your background, Sam. Uh, I will, yeah. The first um, about 23 years, I worked in corporate Canada, mostly financial institutions. And I worked my way up to controller, which I did for about nine years. And I loved that job. I went through about four mergers and acquisitions. Which and, is tough and challenging. Oh, absolutely. gosh, yes. And, and fun and exciting at the same time. And, you know, I'd, I'd been involved in purchase prices. So I, I, I knew that uh, there were synergies baked in there and half the senior management would lose their jobs. So I kind of knew on that fourth one when my company was bought that my days were numbered. Uh, but in fact, it turned out they weren't. So I uh, found myself being offered a great job to continue being controller, and that had me moving to Ontario. And once you got there, how did you find the new environment? Well, I loved the M&A work. I loved the integration. It's it's fun challenge to be you know have that much to do, uh, that that many problems to solve, that many accounts to balance. Um, that <laughs> You're has, a true accountant. Sounds, that many. It sounds so exciting. Controls yes, you're wow. in place. Absolutely. Um, but it's really about the people. And I, uh, I really enjoyed my new teams in all locations. That was fantastic. So from a leadership perspective, I, was, I think I was doing really well. I had 360 um, feedback that suggested they were appreciating my leadership. But I have to say, Jen, I actually was really, really stressed. Um, and it wasn't the technical part. It wasn't the leading part. Uh, but it was something that I confided in Mark. It was actually uh, Because my you worked boss. together at the time. We did. We had corner offices across from each other. Oh, workplace romance. Yeah, it's like a true merger and acquisition. (laughs) Yeah, significant amount of goodwill. Significant. (laughs) But I did think Mark was very smart, and I did trust him. And so I shared with him that I was actually feeling very frustrated. And in fact, I was worried that I was derailing. Um, You know that term, executive derailment? Mm -hmm. Do you know? Yeah. A little bit. We'll tell so, us some more so about basically, that. the term means um, an, an executive who isn't able to reach their full potential because they run into a problem. Something something stops them in their career. They either get let go or demoted or um, yeah, or just go nowhere. They kind of get pushed yeah. to the shunted aside or something like that. Happens to a lot of like people who are identified as top talent. Yes, and many of them just leave the organization. Happens all the time. And it's very expensive for organizations because oh, yeah. you spend so much money recruiting. And grooming and people. And grooming people. And so executive derailment's a big problem. So I actually thought at the time I might be derailing. I was feeling really stressed. And here's why. My uh, boss at the time was effectively micromanaging me. And I had no- never experienced anything like this. I'd been running my own show, doing a great job, running my own show for many, many years. Yeah, that's the worst. To Absolutely. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, when I look back, I realized I hadn't reported directly to an accountant for many, many years. So suddenly I was back reporting to an accountant who wanted to know every single thing all the time. Did you make this decision? How'd you do this? Where did this come from? Did you check this? Did you check that? Did you check? And it was just constant. And I thought to myself, why doesn't she just let me be, you know, leave me alone to get the job done? 
So I shared my plight with Mark, and he shared his big aha with me uh, that I probably needed to work on my followership. And I even, didn't really know what it meant at that point in time, but I thought <laughs> you it was had already good had your your, uh, your aha moment. That's right. That my was, epiphany had yeah. come and gone. Yep. Yeah, and you know something really rang true there when he said it. It made it made intuitive sense. So we started having meetings and kind of putting our heads together and trying to figure out what would what would that look like if if an executive started working on trying to really be a good follower to their executive, what would that look like? So I started trying a whole bunch of things, and some of the things worked brilliantly. And mm-hmm. I have to have to say the the bottom line is within a few weeks from that moment. I was not stressed anymore. I knew I was on her wavelength, and I was not derailing. It well, was quite transformative. Oh, That's yeah. And very quickly transformative. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that you did differently? That's a great question. Um, funnily enough, my optimistic brain can't remember the things that failed. <laughs> but I, I think that's human nature, isn't it? Yes, but I can remember some of the things that were really successful. For example, uh, one thing I did was I actually kind of recommitted to her. I, I said, you know, I, I notice you've been calling me a lot, like every day, and asking me a million questions. <laughs> did you say that to her? I think I, I probably did. And I said, this makes me wonder if I haven't given you enough information or information at the right time or enough background to kind of make sense of the information to ha- so that it has credibility with you. Maybe would it be helpful if we booked some information sessions and I walked through the production of each report and what the team does, what they check, what where all the controls are, and what I do to know that it's right when I give it to you. And she said, that would be great. Uh, so that was one example. Just totally increase her comfort level. Yeah. Absolutely. I realized over time that I actually just knew a lot more about the detail than she did, where stuff came from, what the systems did, all, all of that. And so she just needed that comfort level and you know, a little bit of hand-holding to, to, to know what to feel comfortable with. Yeah, what, we've, what we've actually found since then is that a lot of people who talk about, my boss is a micromanager. So in the session we asked who's had a micromanager and two-thirds of the room put up their hand. And the advice we give to millennials, and actually frankly to most people, is that most of the time, People are micromanagers because they have a greater need for information. Right. And the natural tendency, though, when you think someone's micromanaging you is, gee, I've had enough of this person, and you pull away. So you give them you less information. Give them less information. information. Yeah. And it just <laughs> makes it worse. Right. And so you've got to fight your natural tendency and move in even closer and give, communicate more and find out what the other person needs and really move in instead of move away. And the micromanaging goes away. Wow, interesting. So how many years ago did all of this happen? So that was about 14 years ago, I would say. About 14 years ago. Yeah. And so how has followership evolved since then? Oh, that's a great question. Because 14 years ago, when I was able to transform my situation, we thought, wow, we're really onto something here. Let's quit making real money and go start our own business. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we all know how that works out sometimes. (laughs) So we reached, well, we did end up reaching out to um, a whole bunch of people at the time who, uh, C-suite executives, uh, consultants, entrepreneurs, academics, to kind of test drive this idea of followership. We held uh, focus groups across the country, some in our, you know, around our dining room table. 
And basically, after about six months of that, we were told, um, absolutely, this is an important topic. Do the research, write the book. It's a thing. It's a yeah. thing. You guys are on to something. That was that was the overwhelming thing. So we thought we were really, really on to something, which we were. Uh, but it did take quite a while to get up off the ground because, frankly, and you saw what happened in the session this morning, when you ask people to be a follower or to pay attention to being a follower, they resist because we've created this world where we never utter the word. Like follower is yeah. an F word. Yeah. We don't say it, <laughs> right? Our, our very first consulting gig, we were told we couldn't use the F word. We had to use leader support. Wow. Yeah. Like but somehow why that is was... That? Is it, you know, you know, I know today you were focusing on, in your session, on millennials and how this yes. impacts millennials. And is it something to do with the way millennials have been brought up? Or is it, I mean, even back to baby boomers where leaders, where you started an organization, you work your way up, you, the longer you've been there, the higher you are on the chain of command, and that's that. I mean, is it is it just a millennial issue or is it really just the way that we've been trained in all these different generations? It's both. We've never been trained to talk about it explicitly. So, for example, I was in Scouts when I was young, and there was always this unspoken element of followership in Scouts. And you could be a team player in a sport without having to be a leader back then. So I think, although we never talked about it, the expectations were a little bit different, whereas today, everyone is a leader. If if you're applying for, we were talking about this earlier, if you're applying to go to university, you have to talk all about your leadership experiences. And your leadership experiences could just be, hey, I did really well in something. It may have nothing to do with leadership. It may be that you helped be part of a really productive team. But no, no, if it's not leadership, it's not it's, good enough. It's mm. not good enough. And we've gotten, so there's two kind of conflicting things that we found with millenniums, millennials. The first is we say leader, leader, leader to them all the time. And so they can only identify in that role, sort of, because when they go onto social media, they're more than happy to follow somebody else. And who's a leader? Who's, well, but they don't even talk about that because it's a mutual. I follow you, mm-hmm. you, you follow, follow me. me. True. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think what's happened is we've found them quite amenable to the idea, very receptive to it once they hear about it. In fact, more receptive in many cases than you know my generation might have been but they've never heard about it before. So it's like, whoa, you know, what's this got to do with work? It works great. I just want to add another point too, which is if we look at what, you know, the way the world of work has evolved in the last, you know, five, 10 years versus 20, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, today's workforce, um, the majority of uh, the workforce, we need them to come fully engaged and be, you know, sit at the table and be true thinking partners. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all about the knowledge economy. We, We need to be creative. We need to be collaborative. And so this idea of leadership and followership is so much more important. It's not about, you know, you just sit in the back corner and wait to be told what to do. Right. That's not what we're looking for in most of our employees today. We're looking for people to come with their best selves, their best ideas, help have insight, you know. People are much happier to be there when they're asked to come like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the followership that we espouse is not about, you know, sit in the back corner and wait to be told what to do. We're talking about strong, active followership that makes sense in today's 
world, which is really being a highly influential thinking partner. So how do you define followership? Well, followership, one way of thinking of it, it's what you're doing when you're not leading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although, although, to be fair, uh, there were many times when I was working in an organization where I don't think I was following or leading. So Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. You know, we heard a stat earlier that 70% of the workforce is disengaged, mm-hmm. 25% actively disengaged. Yes. That is shocking. It's shocking and unnecessary. Yeah. So how do you change it? How does followership help change those stats around? Well, I can give you, so so let me give you a real definition of followership, which I think is more valuable. But the first thing you have to do to get any kind of good definition is realize that followership and leadership are complementary. And almost all the leadership that we teach today comes from the 19, the period between the 1950 and about 1985. There have been essentially no new theories or almost no new major theories of leadership today. And we know how the workforce has changed since then. Right, dramatically. Dramatically. Uh, But the problem that we have with leadership is that we're trying to define it without understanding followership. It's like if you were playing football, you try and describe what a quarterback does without talking about anybody else on the team. Or what the defense does versus the offense. Yeah, like it'd be totally crazy. So the way we define leadership is it's creating a framework for action. And followership is taking informed initiative within somebody else's frame. Okay. So if you're working within somebody else's frame, you're following. Uh, If you're creating your own frame, you're not doing anything yet unless somebody else starts working within it and then you're leading. Okay, because if you have your own frame, you're not leading until there's somebody to actually lead. Right. And so we're asking all these questions about people saying, how have you been a leader? And... They've been trying to create frames, and they say, well, I'm a leader because I've done blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but no one's following, so like... Yeah, uh, you're not mm. a leader if no one's following. Right. Yeah. So the first thing you need is a really strong definition of leadership and followership, and then what you talk about with millennials is you say, look, they're both active and engaged roles. And they're both extremely important. Absolutely. Equally important. And so, you know, it, you're going to, your whole life, you're going to be taking on both roles. The CEO of a company, when you get to be CEO one day doesn't mean that you never follow again. You've got a board of directors. Right. You've got other things you do. You've got investors. You have stakeholders. Mm -hmm. You've got other people that you have to follow. And even your employees, sometimes, you know what? You're the CEO, but they're the one who's going to need to take the lead because they have the expertise. Your CFO sometimes is going to need to take the lead. Right. Or whoever it happens to be. And so we tell them, look, why not just become expert at both roles? What you'll find is, so here's some really cool stats. Is it between 30 and 50% of performance evaluations are based on followership skills? Excellent. And I think this is something that every accountant out there should love. It turns out (laughs) that organizations that are good at followership are 17 to 43% better at every single metric that you can measure that we know of. So they're better at employee engagement from 17 to 43%, customer satisfaction, output, quality of work top line, bottom line, on and on it goes. I can't think of any other intervention you can do in an organization. It gives you this kind of across the board 17 to 43%. And frankly, one of the best places to invest is in the millennium, millennials in your organization because that's who's going to be running your organization, if not now, in the next few years. Very soon. Yeah. How do you teach followership? Oh, that's a good question. We do teach fellowship. <laughs> and, and go, go see you guys. I'll, 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 do, I'll do a little secrets. plug go see for us. Um, our, our partnerships with CPA Ontario and CPA Nova Scotia. 
um, and, and soon to be other CPA uh, organizations because we have created an online course on, on followership. Uh, but I'll tell you really quickly the kinds of things we do, whether it's in person or, or in this online course. First of all, it's, it's wrapping your brain and being able to see yourself in the role. And then to, to kind of reframe it as an important role, equally important uh, than leadership. Because there's a lot of baggage that comes uh, along with leading and following and, and so forth. So you kind of have to move past that baggage. So we do share a lot of uh, you know research stories, and research. stories and success stories to help people move you know move along that shift their mindset. Then we begin to look at uh, followership as not just a reaction to leadership, but a, an array of possible actions. Um, so we actually have a framework we call mimicry, complementarity, and individuality. individuality. Oh, so we help people see that uh, followership can be, you can have mimicry, you can, you can see that the leader thinks something is important and then you detect that and you go, I'm going to mimic that. You know, I'm going right. to dress this way. I'm going to say this is important. I'm going to, whatever it is. So that's, that's kind of the, the first line. Complementarity is recognizing what they're trying to achieve and then supporting that directly. So maybe they're trying to achieve work-life balance, so you help them get out the door. Right. You know, rather than staying at 9 o'clock at night, you support that. You, you do something very directly to support that. And then individuality is really understanding what the organization is trying to achieve, what your leader is trying to achieve, and independently coming up with an initiative that really cuts to the heart of the, the purpose. Yeah. You're still working within the framework, but you're taking initiative in the framework because you understand it well enough that you can create within it and build something new. And that's really a super special thing to do. But you've got to know which of those three you're doing. Like I can tell you a story when I was young, as an, a young employee, I saw a senior manager. He was in fact the CFO of the organization. And he would, he was a kind of, he was a brash guy. And he would go around and ask really tough questions of everybody and all this kind of thing. And I thought, oh, okay, he's leading by example. So I started going around asking really tough thing. questions to everybody. It did not go well. Especially when you were asking really tough questions of the senior leadership team. Yeah. yeah. Right. Who were more senior than you? Oh, yes. way more senior than me. But he was asking them those questions. So I thought, well, that's the way you get it. Like, I'm he's, just, yeah, he's, he's modeling the way. He's that's modeling the do. way. I'm going to do that. But it turns out that mimicry wasn't the right answer at that point in time. <laughs> not the best for my career. So, yeah, there's lots of examples. Sam actually uh, does a lot of coaching as well and she had uh, uh, one of the things you can do in your followership role is to simply show support for a leader. Yeah and, and make it explicit. Make it you explicit. You know I, I often have people come to me for leadership coaching but actually what they're really looking for is followership coaching. Oh interesting. Which is I would have to actually say that probably more than 50% of the time Maybe even two-thirds of the time. People seek leadership coaching, but what they really need is followership coaching. Because it's really hard when you're uh, really seasoned in your career and suddenly you get a new boss. Kind of like my situation earlier. Um, you get a new boss, you don't feel aligned. That new boss uh, maybe didn't select you. They don't know how great you are yet. And they don't immediately see your worth and it can be very, very frustrating. So one thing I coach people in that situation is to, to recognize that they need to step into their best followership role and to change things 
by immediately declaring that they're in support of the leader, like explicitly saying something really direct, like, um, hey, new leader, I know we haven't maybe gotten off on the right foot, but I wanna tell you everything's gonna change today. I want to be a great follower for you. I know you're gonna make positive change around here and I've got your back. I'm gonna be there right with you all the way. Wow, so and you have to do that even if you don't necessarily feel it or believe well, it. You know, followership is a personal choice. So you have to choose, am I gonna be good at this role? If you are, like just commit. Um, or do I not wanna follow this person? Well, you know, get out. But don't hang around and be actively disengaged like what we were talking right. about before. And actually the same advice works for, for millennials. We had uh, this young guy who was struggling in his role in his, uh, in his new company. He's new to the workforce. And so we recommended to him that he goes into his boss and say, hey, I realize up to now, I haven't been the best follower for you, but I'm really gonna commit to trying to improve now, and I could ask for your help to tell me, you know, in ways in which I'm not following you well, in which I am. And he came back and told us a few weeks later, just that was like completely transformative discussion that he had with his boss. It, and he was, you know, one of these fresh out of college, thinks he knows a lot of stuff, blah, blah, blah totally transformed his relationship with his boss. That's incredible. So we've talked about how you throw support behind your leader, you ask for feedback. What are some other ways that you can show that you are a really strong follower? Prove your followership. Well, um, some of the other things we help people do in the course and think of are ways that uh, if you want to stro show your strong followership, uh, can you find something that the boss is currently doing that maybe you could do? You know, take something off their their hands that would maybe grow your own exposure, credibility, opportunity, but also maybe they don't really love doing it. So that was one of the things I did actually with my boss when I was struggling. I, um, I noticed that she was staying really, really late doing the financial commentary. And I asked her, I said, so how come you stay so late? <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, at this time during quarter end, she says, oh, I'm doing the financial commentary and I hate writing. And I said, well, you know, I actually love writing and I would be very happy to put together a first draft for you and she she would love that and it turned out she did <laughs> so that was that was a win-win I found something that I'm I'm good at and enjoy doing and it helped me get more exposure and credibility in this new company and she got to still reap the benefits because I'm on her team absolutely right? and she's the one who's actually presenting it in in the end so when you're a great follower, does it automatically mean that you're going to turn into a great leader? Do you always, is that the path that it's going to lead to? Uh, no. So, so there are, <laughs> no. no, simply no. Um, we, we know, this, is, this was one of the things that we were noticing when we first got together is that there were people who were clearly getting ahead in the organization who had very poor leadership skills. It clearly wasn't their leadership then that was being evaluated in terms of giving them these opportunities. And that was the disconnect that I was saying, and they're not even particularly technically strong. So what is it that they're getting ahead with? You could be very cynical about it and just there are words for people who, you know, but I didn't. I didn't sucking up. Sucking yeah. Sorry, yeah. Politics. Politicking. Yeah. Who you know. Right. And I didn't feel like, honestly, that they were that was negative or manipulative. So I had to think of something else that made sense of it. The way we think of it is this. There are definitely some skills that everybody needs. So it's well known that one of the best predictors of successful leadership is intelligence. It's not the only one. There are lots more, but it's certainly one of the, the most robust predictors of, of good leadership. But do you really want dumb followers? 
And the answer is no. no. So when you start to think about it, oh wait, I would like to work with intelligent people regardless At all of all levels. World. It turns out they've done a study, um, and this is widely reported in the Leadership Challenge, uh, which is one of the most famous leadership books of all time, of what are the top 10 traits people want in leaders. And trust and integrity is number one. Well, uh, a research professor from Indiana University did a study with uh, C-suite executives and asked them what the number one thing they want in followers is. Guess what? It's trust and integrity. Right. So there's a whole suite of skills that we just want in everybody we work with, but we're so used to calling them leadership skills that we think it's... Le no. There's a big overlap, but then there are specific leadership skills and very specific followership skills. So you can have that kind of middle bit of what's good for everything, and that will predict that, yes, you've got a good shot at, if you're good at followership at being good at leadership, but then there's some very specific skills that you can develop to make you good at one but not the other, or good at both, but they're separate and distinct. Oh, interesting. And I mean, not everybody wants to be the leader. There's lots of Correct. people that are mm -hmm. quite happy to to stay in followership roles, and they really you need that because not everybody can be the leader. Yeah, and then you can you can also look at a, uh, you know a renowned leader like um, Steve Jobs, for example, and he got turfed from his own company by yeah. the board for lack of followership. Right. So once they brought him back in, um, he had to follow better. But they also augmented um, his uh, leadership, leadership by adding Tim Cook, who uh, and that's really that pair is who took yeah. Apple to the heights that it reached. Right. So so you might not one person alone may not have all the skills. Right. Absolutely. So the key, I think is that followership and leadership, there are some overlapping skills, but there are some distinct skills. So just because you're good at one does not necessarily mean that you're good at both. You can be because they're tra trainable, learnable skills for sure, mm -hmm. but we often you know, don't distinguish between them. Okay, and uh, you guys have a great book out there. Blair and I have read it and we've cited it in our courses, of course, uh, referencing that where it came from. But it is called Leadership is Only Half the Story, that's, I think. That's really close. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, really Leadership close. Leadership is, is half the story. Half the story. Yeah. <laughs> A fresh look at followership, leadership, and collaborations. So we will leave uh, our listeners with that. Go out and buy that book. It's excellent. And it will help you be uh, a better follower and a better leader. Thank Absolutely. you, Jen. Thank you, Jen.